Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hello there. I hope you're having a good day. Today I want to talk to us for just a minute. Dig a bit number three of month three, which is His Glory in a Cloud. We're in November of 2019, if you're doing the study currently. I'm looking at question number three, which says, read 1 Corinthians 10 and find the mention of this cloud, the cloud being the one mentioned in Exodus 16, when the people saw it just prior to the gifts of manna and quail. It says, read 1 Corinthians 10 and find the mention of this cloud. Where were the Israelites in relation to the cloud? Where are we in relation to his glory? When we look at that question, we see in verse 1 that they were under the cloud. And verse 2 says they were in the cloud. I think it's very interesting that that cloud's position is described much as is our position to our leader, Jesus Christ. We are under his authority. He's been given preeminence in all things, and we are in him. Romans 6, 3 and 4, and Galatians 3, 27, we are both under him and in him. But the point that I wanted to make today from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is that God's very merciful here to give us some specifics. We don't have to figure out why he wants us to be studying the cloud in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it actually even comes out and says in verse 6, these things were written for our examples so that or to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Lust is not just any desire, but it is an inordinate desire. It's a desire to have something to which we have no right. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, it says some very definite lessons, four of them, that we are to learn from this cloud as we look back and read about it in Exodus chapter 16. Four sins here that are just outlined for us that we are to avoid. First one is in verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, that's speaking of the golden calf that we read about in Exodus uh, as the Moses had gone up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, to get the law of Moses, and they failed. They said that he had delayed. Where? Why is he delaying? Why is he not coming back down? We talked about this a bit last time, how that we always know that God will keep his promises. He is a God that never goes back on his word and he will keep his promises. And we don't find ourselves in situations in this world in which we need to turn to other sources for our strength, for our encouragement, for our direction, for our commandments. That is idolatry, whether it be entertainment or sports or Facebook or whatever it might be that takes the allegiance that we should have for God and rips that allegiance out of our hearts that was for Jehovah the Almighty God and gives it to something else around us. It might be the culture, what the culture says about home and family. It might be what the culture says about sexuality. It might be what the culture says about 
self-fulfillment and happiness and how that comes about. But when we take our eyes off of the truth that is God's word, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. When we take our eyes off of truth and decide that we are going to be influenced by the ideals of this world, then that is idolatry. I was speaking on the phone just last night to a woman who is married to a non-believer and she's a very um, good woman, but she's being influenced by this world to think that she could just separate from him and her life would be easier because he didn't want to follow God's plan. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches in 1 Peter chapter 3. She's to have a meek and quiet spirit obeying him in all things unless it draws her, unless his command makes her disobey Christ, in which case she would choose Christ. But if the unbeliever depart, Paul said, then you have to let him go and choose Christ over the unbeliever. But her situation was just totally being influenced by the world around us that says if you're not happy in your marriage, if there's a struggle, if there's a conflict, you can just do away with that marriage and go on and do what's the easiest thing for you. And that is certainly not what the Bible teaches. So in that sense, she was making an idol of the marriage philosophy of the world because she was ready to just put aside what God had said and follow what the world has said about the easy dispensation of a marriage, the easy uh, throwing away of the vows that people that you make at the altar. So idolatry can come in many forms. Some times in our world around us, I see it coming in the form of forsaking the wife's role, the mother's role, the feminine role in our society at large. We decide that we are better suited for first off career, business career. We're better suited for a career out there in the world than we are to raise the children that we've already decided to have. I mean by choice, and I mean putting a career before our homes. And sometimes we don't like to admit that that's what we're doing, but sometimes we are doing that. And so it is important that we constantly remember that when we lay aside a philosophy that's taught in God's Word, and we decide that we will enjoin ourselves to a philosophy that is oppositional to God's Word, that that is our modern, one modern form of idolatry. Verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day 23,000 people. Of course, we find that in Numbers chapter 25, but the second clear thing that God commands us to avoid is fornication. We live in a society that touts the value of fornication that even touts the um, advantage of those who fornicate before marriage so that they will know whether or not they're suited for one another before they walk down the aisle. We live in a society where because of Hollywood, because of the exaltation of people who are in numerous relationships, pre-marriage and extramaritally, that it is it has come to be expected it's no wonder that many parents christian parents come to me and have come to me in recent months and said i can't believe that my son or my daughter has been involved in sexual sin i never thought that it would come to this but see if we don't 
really, really, and some of these parents even have done this, but if we don't really, really daily put the principles of morality in our children and the decisions early on not to get involved in situations in which the great temptation to fornicate will be there. I mean, put some guards around their purity, like, for instance, um, not being alone with people of the opposite sex for long periods of time, modest apparel, and choosing to date people if you're a guy who dresses people who dress modestly, um, not participating in dances, not ever being in situations where alcohol is part of the party picture. Those kinds of decisions early on at ages four and five will help us to be people who avoid this clear sin about which we are to learn from the cloud. And then in verse 9, Neither let us tempt or make trial of the Lord Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Of course, that's in Numbers 21. It's interesting that it says these people tempted Christ. When they said, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us into this wilderness where we're hungry and where we don't have enough to drink? And why did you do this? We would have been better off back in Egypt. Oh, oh, oh. It's very important for us as Christians not to tempt Christ by saying, this life is so hard, God. Why did you make this Christianity so hard for us? It seems like it was easier back when I was in the world. And it's so difficult to raise Christian children in this society in which we live. Lord, I'm about to throw in the towel because I was just better off before I began following you. I really believe that we should never, ever be heard saying, even, why me, God? Why is this happening to me? At every juncture in our lives in which we think about that, we probably should look at the cross and say, Look what Christ did for me. And I can do anything for him for the brief lifetime. Know that I'm talking to Cindy Colley. Know that I realize that I'm guilty of this at times. Know that sometimes I say, can this be any harder? You know what? We need to really be careful that we understand the price that was paid just as God had miraculously delivered his people Israel from Egypt. I mean, he congealed the Red Sea so that they could walk across and destroy their enemy in the Red Sea. You know, that's what God's done for us. He's delivered us from the slavery of sin with a great high price that is the blood of his son. He is our Passover, just as they had a Passover right before they crossed the Red Sea. And he has allowed us, as this chapter says, to be immersed in the cloud of his protection. And we should be careful that we never complain about the hardships of being in Christ. Why did you bring us out of sin, Lord? Why We were better off back before this occurred. We don't even suffer persecution anywhere near what the people in Corinth were suffering when the book of 1 Corinthians was written. There's no uh, propensity probably that we will in our lifetimes. I'm a little bit worried about our children and our grandchildren suffering that. But let's be very careful in this day of extreme material blessings. And as we look at the protection of God, as he has been so good to us, especially in the United States of America for the past 200 years and giving us the privileges 
of freedom in worship like no other country has ever known. He has given us these privileges. And for us to turn around and say, oh Lord, this is so hard. When it's time for us to stand up and verbalize our Christianity before the world would be tempting the Christ. And we want to be sure that we understand that's one of the four sins here that we're supposed to learn not to do from the cloud. And then in verse 10, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, complained, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Exodus 16, Numbers 14, 1 Chronicles 31, verse 15 are great reference verses to notice here. But complaining, much akin to what I just spoke about from verse 9, complaining about our material circumstances, complaining about, I'm just going to make it real personal here, complaining because there are squirrels in my attic, constantly complaining about that when my husband's doing all he can to try to get rid of those squirrels in the attic, complaining because my couch is 12 years old, complaining because my house is so large that it's very hard for me to keep it clean, complaining because I fed the kids spaghetti the other day and for two weeks I keep finding dried noodles all over the floor. Even though I clean them up, I think they magically appear again. See, here I am going on it again complaining because uh, you know there are in my house let's see there are one two three four five there are five toilets in my house there's one in the garage and one in the cabin that's seven toilets on my property now I'm, I'm embarrassed to even say that that's a ridiculous amount I'm so blessed and yet you know what I'm tempted to complain because my septic tank every now and then gets stopped up and we, we have to put that treatment in the toilet. Come on, people. I'm just making it real here today and saying that Cindy Colley needs to look at this passage and look at these four things and say, wow, there are some very clear things here. There are some very clear sins that I am supposed to look at the cloud and learn to avoid. I really want to make it my job for the next month or so. Whenever I'm driving along and I look up at the clouds and I see the beauty that God has put there, not to just say, oh, praise God, he is so good to me. And I do that very often when I'm looking at the sky, when I'm looking at the changing leaves, when I'm looking at snow on the ground, I just pause and say, thank you, God. You are so full of glory. And thank you for showing me that today. But you know what? For the next month or so, when I'm driving along and I look up at those clouds, I'm going to try to list these four sins. And I'm going to pledge to God that, God, I'm going to try not to do these things. And I want you to help me to try not to, A, be involved in idolatry, B, give my consent or laugh at or approve of, the fornication that occurs in our society and sometimes the fornication that even occurs in multiple marriages within our congregations. Help me never to give my approval of that. Lord, help me to avoid tempting the Christ by complaining about how hard Christianity is. And Lord, help me to be content. Help me not to murmur about my physical circumstances when I'm so very, very rich and so very blessed. I hope you have a great day and I hope these four lessons from the cloud 
will be in your heart when you look up into the sky. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And part of that glory of God is his amazing mercy toward us and keeping us from the world, the things that will eventually destroy us and make us unhappy. So when we look at the clouds for the next month, that let's see that glory. And let's see if we can list these four points from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, things that we are to avoid because we're learning from the cloud and from the glory of the cloud. Have a great day. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Digabit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.